And we are spending the month of January on Sunday evenings just looking at the first chapter of James in a way to look at how to have authentic faith, especially during uh, trials and suffering. Up to this point, James has given us two instructions. The first is that we would let perseverance have its full effect, and that is I think an important picture that's given, it is easy to want to bail out of the trial, quit on the trial, not try to learn from the trial. And James says that God is trying to make you mature and complete, lacking nothing. And the trial is the means by which God accomplishes that. And so on our end, we must let it have its full effect and stay in that through the bitter end. In the same way, he also then instructs us to ask God for wisdom, which we looked at last week, that God is a God who gives generously and without reproach, and is so easy to forget that the first thing we need in trials is wisdom, and God is the giver of that wisdom, and so that we would go to him and seek it, and that our life in stability, we noted from that lesson, does not come from the trial, but it does show us that we're not trusting God as our life anchor. That puts us into a third paragraph in this first chapter. Our text is going to be in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And you're going to notice that as James continues to bolster our faith, he is now going to talk about the problem of temptations. Now, I don't believe that he has left the theme of suffering and trials because In verse 12, he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. But it is in trials that temptations probably can be the most challenging and be the most difficult when you're already suffering, when it already seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, when life is hard. That's when temptations can probably push us to our greatest breaking point. And so what James has here for us are some pictures of what we need to do, and in particular, how to think about our temptations when we are in trials and when we are in suffering. And then we'll make some applications to that idea. So you notice then what's given for us. Let's read verse 13 now, as we just read verse 12. James 1 and verse 13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. All right, the first picture that I want you to see that is being presented to us by James is there is a strong emphasis being made by God through James to tell us that God is doing us good. This is an important theme that is in James 1, and it's certainly highlighted here by just beginning and saying, 
God doesn't tempt us. And sometimes you can feel like in a trial and as the temptations build in the midst of trials to think, well, God is against us, that God isn't for me, that God is wrecking my faith. He's not helping me at all. And one of the things that James is trying to underscore here is that James is not against us. James is not trying to destroy us. Uh, God, excuse me, God is not trying to destroy us. And God is not trying to do something to wreck our faith so that we would then be utterly destroyed. And I think that's an important picture because when you're in trials, it can sometimes feel like, well, God's just trying to obliterate me. You know, he's got me on the ground and there's no way I can get up. And God is trying to emphasize to us that what is happening to us is not having to do with God standing against us. And that God is not even tempted to do evil at all. There is no way that he can be tempted to be like, well, you know, maybe I'll think about doing something against them. That's not how it works. He's not even tempted to do evil. In fact, notice the contrast of the character of God that is being pictured when it says there in verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights. This is a very important picture about God. God is the giver of every good gift. All good gifts come from God. And that is an important idea to think about for a minute. That God is the reason for every good thing we have in our lives. And sometimes we can miss that really critical truth. And miss that that's the character of God. In fact, so much is that the character of God that God even says, it doesn't matter even who you are, God is doing good. One of my favorites is Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Whoever you are and wherever you are, it is God that is doing you good. Every good and perfect gift comes from God and comes from God alone. So you'll notice that James is highlighting the goodness of God and seeing that character about him. And then you'll notice he underscores that even more in verse 17. You'll notice the end of verse 17, he says, and it's not something that God changes in how he does that. He says there in verse 17, who does not change like shifting shadows. This is a major contrast to all of humanity. God does not wake up on the wrong side of the bed. God is not wishy-washy. God does not have a bad day. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and go, well, clearly God has it out for me. He's a little cranky and I just can't wait till he gets a nap and he'll just be so much nicer to me. You get a picture of God who says, I am good. I am always doing good. Every good gift comes from me and that never changes. That is who I am. There is no variation with me. There is no shifting with me. You aren't going to come to me one day and get one thing and then another day get some other personality or some other temperament. We're used to that with humans, right? You know? Uh, 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 you go to your, when you were a kid, you went to your parents and you're like, Ooh, I don't want to talk to them today. Today's not the right day to ask dad about. <laughs> That's not the way God is. 
God is not pictured as, yeah, today was not the day you should have come to him and asked for wisdom. He was just not the right time. No, he is good and he is the giver of good gifts. And so we should look at him in that picture and in that light is to see you don't have to wonder about what kind of God you're getting today. That he is good all the time. He does not change. He is for you and he is the giver of good gifts. In fact, he's not even tempted to do evil. And then the final point to underscore the goodness of God is in verse 18. He's the one who by his will uh, gave us this birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Have you ever wondered what that sentence is doing right there? It almost seems out of place. I thought we were talking about temptations. Why say that right here? Uh, the, the emphasis is, is, is this, is if he is the one who gave you this new birth, it was by his will, then how could he possibly be against you? He's the whole reason you have the new birth. He brought it forth as you as a first fruits through the word of truth. It's not like this is against his will. He is clearly for you and is bringing you along to glory. So do not look at God and say, well, he's against me. He's trying to harm me. He's trying to destroy me. He's doing evil against me. God cannot do that. He is not tempted to do so. He only gives good gifts and he certainly is not going to change his character. He is always going to be coming toward us in a way for our good. And that is evidenced by the fact that he brought us forth by the word of truth because of his son. And so God is trying to portray, you have to see me that I am not doing evil to you and you are not being tempted by me. So doesn't that leave us with a question then? If James is driving into our hearts that God is for you, that God is doing good towards you, do not blame God for temptations, do not blame God for sins, that God tempts no one. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And do not make God the focal point of your angst or anger when you're in the midst of trials or dealing with temptations. He is for you. You can trust him. Then where are these temptations coming from? And you might be surprised by the answer. We sometimes like to point the finger outside of ourselves, but you might notice very carefully in verse 13, what he says, when he points out in verse 13, he says, it's not that God is tempting you. No one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor can he tempt anyone. But now think of what he says here. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. You probably wanted that to say, well, we're tempted because it's Satan's fault. And that's not where James goes. James says, actually, the problem is us. It's not God that's doing the tempting. He actually turns it around and says, actually, the problem is that there are the evil desires and enticements that we have within us. And we are dragged away by those desires. Now, I have a good way to, to prove this, this idea. I think it's, it's become well known if you've been here long enough that I absolutely despise Brussels sprouts. 
worst creation ever. I don't know who looked at those things and said, let's try eating those. That, you know, this makes no sense to me. They're horrifying in every way. I don't care if you roast them, fry them, butter them, grill them. It doesn't matter what you do. I'd rather just shoot them with a catapult and forget about it. There is no way for you to tempt me to eat Brussels sprouts. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you put them on a beautiful plate. I don't care if you put a lot of frill on it. I don't care if you sit there and eat it in front of me. I don't care if you sit there and eat it in front of me and make yummy sounds. I have no temptation whatsoever to eat that. Why? Because I don't have the desire. You can sit there all day long and try to tempt me to eat it. And I will never do it. Because I don't have the desire. Make it a Snickers, put me something else. Brussels sprouts, no desire. This is the point that he's making. The devil would not be able to tempt us if we didn't have the desire. We quickly want to blame the devil. Oh, well, it's, you're not going far enough. He wouldn't be able to tempt us if there wasn't something within us that wanted that. That's why we are tempted and lured away by our desires. And so that's the picture that he's giving to us. Now, I want to apply that for a minute. And I'm only going to use two illustrations. But I want you to think about your own life and your own temptations. And you fill in the blanks, even though I'm using two illustrations of this. If we're dealing with the temptation and problem of anger, the problem is not everybody else. The problem is not even what they said to us or what they did to us. The problem is that there is an anger problem in our hearts. There is something within us that is being allowed to trigger. There is something we have that's the problem that we are stepping into that and caving into that temptation. And so what's why the scriptures tell us You need to practice self-control to deal with these desires of the heart is that it is ultimately bound within us. Now, that doesn't mean that gives me a right to go up to you and try to provoke you to anger, of course. But at the end of the day, it really does come down to us. There is something within us that we are allowing, that we are saying yes to. There is a desire there that wants to display that emotion and do so in a sinful way. And so that's an illustration of this idea. The problem is something within us. Another illustration would be even the idea of lust. Even lust, you can't say, well, that's just somebody else's fault. No, you have a desire problem that is bringing you into that temptation. And no, that doesn't mean it's okay to wear whatever you want to wear. But it's still your problem that you have a heart problem that needs to be dealt with, a desire problem that needs to be addressed. Because ultimately the desire comes from within us and that is why we are called to self-control. But so often what happens with any of our temptations is we are so quick to either blame God or blame others. You know, well, God, you know, we're all human. So, you know, God made me this way or whatever that is. Or, well, if they hadn't have said, or if they hadn't have done, or we'll blame this, or we'll blame the TV, or blame the computer, or blame the person, or blame whatever it is, when the problem really is within us. And we can't even blame the devil. 
The desire is there within us. And if we didn't have that desire problem, then Satan wouldn't be able to do anything with it. And he'd throw the temptation. We'd be like Brussels sprouts. Meh. You don't have me. I'm not going to cave in. I'm not going to follow through. And so James says, we are drawn away by our own desires. I hope that you would underscore that in verse 14, that we are tempted and dragged away by our own desires. That's where the heart of the problem is. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but notice James pushes this forward. The problem is in us. The problem is with our desires. But then notice what happens next in verse 15. Then... After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Second problem that happens is he says, so now you have the temptation and that's because you have the desire within you. And rather than rejecting the temptation, you now give in to the desire. Desire then gives birth to sin. And so the issue that he is addressing here is that we are choosing to act on our desires. We are making a choice. I want to say that like 20 times. I won't, but we are making a choice. We are making a choice when it comes to the temptation. We are choosing to cave in to these sinful Desires, And there's so many ways for us to stop the process. In fact, I hope that you see that James depicts this as a process. You will notice that James does not say, well, here's what happens. You just suddenly are separated from God one day. No, there are these desires. And you are allowing those desires to give birth to sin. And then even sin is giving birth to something more after that. There is a process that is going through there. One of my my favorite illustrations of that is King David. King David with Bathsheba is an excellent example of how sin is a process. All right, we've got the desire. We see Bathsheba and she's bathing. There are so many ways to keep sin from happening. Notably, number one. Just go back in the palace and the story's over. You don't have to stand there and just turn around and go back inside and just forget that happened and mind your own business and carry on with governmental affairs. He chose not to do that. Not only does he not do that, then he asks one of his servants, who's the woman? And then tells the servant, go get her for me. And then goes about and has her. There was all kinds of ways to stop that because sin is a process. You don't just wake up and sin. There are a number of steps that are being taken along the way in which God is giving us an opportunity to choose to walk away and say, no, that we don't take because we don't want to. Because we don't want to. Whatever that sin is, whatever that temptation is, it ultimately is because we don't want to. We choose to act on our desires and we can stop the process. It doesn't have to give birth to sin. There are plenty of times along the way where you can railroad that and stop it and go, okay, that's not going to happen. I see myself moving down there. I'm going to quit that. And James is picturing that here for us. With David, there were so many decisions and so many actions that were taken after the desire 
that he chose to carry out. Sin is clearly a process, and James is showing us that. And then he warns us even more at the end of verse 15, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, I want us to put this together with the picture of trials and being tempted during the difficult times uh, that we are get faced in, in these trials. James is telling us that the reason we lose our faith, the reason that we become separated from God is not because of God. What do we see? God is good. He is the giver of every perfect gift. He is for you. He's not against you. He's not trying to wreck your faith. He's not trying to tempt you. He can't tempt you. We've given the picture. This is not from God. So how do we get to this point of wrecking our faith, losing our faith, separated from God? It is not because of God, but because we are giving into our desires, which leads to the practice of sin, which then gives birth to death. That's the line he's drawing. It starts back here with the desire. There is a desire within us that we are accepting and walking into leading to sin and the pulling together of sins now leads us to the separation from God, leads to the wrecking of faith. But what do we like to do? We get to the wrecking of faith and go, well, it's all because of God. No, it's not. No, God is for you. God is good. The problem is the desires that were within from the very beginning. That's what James is putting his finger on. To say that another way, God is not destroying us. We're destroying us. God's not wrecking our faith. We're wrecking our faith. We're the ones that are making that decision. Separation from God really does begin with us excusing our sinning and caving into those desires. That's how we get to where we're at. And that's the image that is, that is being portrayed. Okay, so let's talk about some applications, some tools, some ideas. Okay, so how are we going to deal with this? How can we win the battle and deal with temptations in a right way so that we can be what God wants us to be? So a couple of pictures that I want to talk about. Number one, I want you to notice that what James does is he uses the goodness of God as a tool for our fight against these temptations. Here's what he's doing. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. God can give us whatever we need. So whatever the temptation is offering, we don't need that. Whatever that temptation is, that is trying to push us towards sin, we don't need that. Because God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He will give us everything we need. He is the satisfier of desires. He is the one who can give us all joy and satisfaction. And Satan is trying to tell us, no, no, it's not with God. It's over here in these things. If you would act this way or do this or say that, that would be what you need. And of course, we've all stepped into that 100 million times and, and found out that's false. It's, it's not satisfying. It doesn't bring lasting joy or satisfaction. And God is trying to give us that picture for us is that the goodness of God is supposed to be the tool that we need, that God is the satisfier of our needs. We do not need to fulfill our desires through ungodly means. Greater joy 
And greater fulfillment is found by having our needs met by God and being met in godly ways. And I think what happens as I was thinking about this picture that James is giving us is that we can have the tendency to doubt the goodness of God, which then opens that door to temptation and sin. If you, we don't think that God is for me and that God's on my side in helping me, then what do I do with his laws? I look at those laws and go, oh, draconian, terrible laws. I, I, I have these things that I want to do. And so I don't want those. And I'm going to, and what we're doing is ultimately doubting the goodness of God, that his way won't provide us the fulfillment that we need. And James is trying to tell us, yes, it will, which then draws us to the second point. If our desires are ultimately the problem when it comes to temptations, then we need to listen to God's instructions about these desires. Well, what are we supposed to do? Okay, God, we're going to have temptations. Satan is going to tempt us with these desires. What do the scriptures tell us to do with these desires so that we can win the battle? And we need to listen to God's solutions. Well, Here's a few passages. There are many, but I'm going to just give you three tonight that we can think about and soak on and hopefully will be helpful to you in the days ahead. Galatians chapter five, verse 24. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I want you to notice a picture that the Apostle Paul uses. He says, if you belong to Jesus, then you're going to war against those desires. He describes it as crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. And so it's a, a... a moment of reflection, self-examination. I think it's easy for us to just allow the desires to sit there and not go to battle against them, to not crucify them, to not go after them and say, I've got to deal with these. I am caving into these sins, which evidently shows there is a desire problem within me that needs to be addressed. The Apostle Paul is saying we need to go on the war path, crucify the passions and desires. Similarly, Ephesians 2 and verse 3, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature under God's wrath as others were also. Notice the picture that Paul says in the past life, When before we were coming to Christ, he says, what were we doing? But carrying out the inclinations and thoughts and desires of the flesh, which tells us a a picture here. We have to be ready to say no. The desire is going to rise up and we are then being told here, we're not going to just follow every inclination we have. That is not the way of Christ. And Romans chapter 13 gives us another good picture. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. You have to like that he just kind of big umbrella of sins right there, right? He just, he just grabbed a pile of them, throws them all in and says, 
But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's a great picture right there. Don't make opportunities. Don't plot the way to fulfill the desires. That there is not only that we're going to crucify the desires, we're going to know that we can't carry out the inclinations of those desires, but he also says, don't make pathways to fulfill it. You know what I mean. You have the temptation and it's in your mind, which comes from the desire. But there is this moment of time, no short or long, where you are now determining how to deal with that desire. And it can be from milliseconds to minutes to hours to days where there is planning. How am I going to do what I want to do? And notice what Paul is saying is don't do that. That's what he means by don't make provision for the flesh. Don't make a plan. Don't give it an opportunity. Don't start thinking about how you're going to do that. That's where you come in and stop. That's where you put, no, I can't do that. Don't start plotting that path. Do not make provision for the flesh. So these are some of the pictures that are being given to us is that following our fleshly desires are not getting us closer to God. And we need to stop thinking about how we're going to carry out those desires Let's talk about getting underneath these things for a minute, and then we'll get to our our third and final point tonight. So many of the things that we step into that are temptations and what is being offered to us is not really what we're wanting. There is a, 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 a need for some honest reflection in the midst of the temptation because you know that the temptation is not really getting you to what you're looking for it's just a temporary satisfaction of the moment you know anger is a good one the, the 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 real thing is is not well i just really wanted to yell at somebody and that just made me feel better that's not really what the issue was you were want you you want this individual to always think of you as this that and whatever and to always think you walk on water and you're very mad at them because they don't think that you walk over there's something bigger that is behind the anger moment that's what i'm trying to put my finger on is that there are things in the temptation that are saying This is really it, but it's really not it. That's not really what you're looking for. That that lusting and that sinful desire, that's not really what you're looking for. There's something deeper, something more that you're, you're yearning for that we have to look at and be honest with and try to put our finger on and grab hold of these desires and consider what is ultimately underneath them. Go back to anger. Why am I getting angry? What is underneath that? Why am I caving into sexual desires? What is underneath that? It's not sufficient just to go, yeah, I've got an anger problem. I really need to stop being angry. Well, what's under, what's the cause? What is the underlying desire that is generating that problem? And to look to try to figure that one out. 
And that's what leads us to the third point. Since our desires are what ultimately leads us to death, then ultimately these are the root of our sin problem. You'll notice the picture here. Verses 13 and 14 use an image that is similar to fishing. So you're in on this, Phil. I know you're going to like this. Each person is tempted when they are lured and enticed and dragged away. This comes from a fishing image. What do you do to the fish? But you put something in the water that's enticing and they grab it. They are enticed. They bite and are pulled away. That's the whole idea of what's happening here. And notice how God is using that. When temptation comes, the problem is we don't see the hook. We just see the bait. We're not looking at there is a hook underneath that bait that is going to drag you far away from God. And that's the image. Each person is dragged by their evil desires, which gives birth to sin, which gives birth to death. So the desire is the root problem. And so often what we do is we just look at the bait and we don't see the hook. We don't see the pain. We don't see the guilt. We don't see the harm. We don't see the separation from God. We don't see the wreckage. I'm going to talk about some of this in an upcoming some Sunday morning lessons. That's what the Stormproof series is because it is... It is frightening to watch how many Christians are destroying their lives because they're just not seeing the hook of what sin is doing. They think it's not going to affect them when ultimately this is our greatest problem. Look at the hook. Stop looking at the bait. The bait is leading us to death. And to spend our time dealing with these internal desires. That God has given us desires, but they are not to be used for evil, but can be transformed for good. That God has given us not only godly ways to fulfill these desires, but we also can put to death certain desires. And so often we don't do that. And that's what James is trying to put his finger on is see the process of sin. It is not God who is against you. It is ultimately God who is for you. And think about what you are really seeking when the temptation arises. What are you ultimately trying to fulfill? What is underneath that sin problem that keeps grabbing you again and again? And go after it. Whether it be crucify it, find a godly way for it, but you must address it because... The desire will lead to sin. And sin will lead to death. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you with with our sin-stained hands. And Lord, we pray for forgiveness. Lord, I pray not only forgiveness for sins committed, 
But forgive us, Lord, for how often we allow these desires to remain in our hearts. We willfully choose not to crucify them. That we don't spend the time trying to determine what we are ultimately seeking. And then ultimately look to you to satisfy our needs. Lord, I hope, I I pray that you would help us to come to a better understanding of who we are and the temptations that strike us down and help us to see what is truly underneath these problems and underneath these sins and underneath these temptations. Lord, create in us pure and clean hearts. Give us clean hearts that are purged from evil, purged from desires that cause us to stray away from you. And give us new hearts. Give us new desires. And Lord, I pray that in those moments of temptation that you will remind us that you are all satisfying and that you will remind us that this path of temptation will not give us what we are looking for, that it does not give us joy or satisfaction. And instead, Lord, remind us in that moment that all good and all perfect gifts come from you alone. And we cannot find any good outside of you. So help us to seek you with all of our heart. Turn our eyes to you. Put a block on us when those moments of desire are moving towards sin. And help us to see those moments and step toward purity and righteousness. And keep us from falling fall into our evil desires and fall into the temptations before us. Lord, give us the strength we need and may we have a greater resolve to crucify those passions and desires and replace them with godly things as we go forward with our days. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to the Lord. And I hope one of the things that you see in what is being offered to us is a beautiful picture of the ability to have power over sin. I think sometimes some of the most depressing thoughts are like, well, I have this temptation sin problem and I'm just never going to overcome it. And I want you to see that God says, actually, it can be. That can be dealt with. That the problem lies within, not without. It's not only outside, but if we would deal with what's inside and we would give those things to God and transform them into good and righteous things, we can overcome. So I encourage you to think about that this very evening as you think about repentance and turning from sin and coming to God. And if we can help you in that process of getting right before God and being clean before him, we'd love to do that. You can come or let us know while we stand and while we sing.